are in 1 Samuel chapter 28 to the medium of Endor. Interesting chapter, no doubt. Let's uh, begin by standing and reading just the account. We'll start down here in Verse 3, we'll read a little bit here. First Samuel 28. Hmm. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city, and Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. The Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel, and they encamped at Gilboa. Then Saul saw the army of the Philistines. He was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. When Saul acquired the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. And there they came to the woman by night. Excuse me. Saul disguised himself and put on other garments, and he went to he and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night, and he said, Divine for me a spirit, and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. The woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? But Saul had swore to her by the Lord, Yahweh, As Yahweh lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? He said, Bring up Samuel for me. And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice, and the woman said to Saul, Why do you why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth, and he said to her, What is his appearance? And she said, The old man is coming up and he is wrapped an old man is coming up and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel, and he bowed his face to the ground and paid homage. Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me to bring to bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am in great distress for the Philistines warred against me. God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned to you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against the Mount Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will, shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. So, a pretty interesting account, no doubt. Um, we want to, first of all, just kind of lay out the uh, order of events here in this part of First Samuel. We know as we finished with David fleeing to the uh, Philistines uh, last uh, week in chapter 27. In fact, we saw in, in that study, David, is, the time we've seen all along, David has his moments where he doesn't do all that well. Uh, one thing he did well last time was he showed his heart to the Lord in that what really upset him in having to run from Saul was that he was having to miss daily Jewish life, the 
being in the tabernacle and enjoying uh, the covenant things. Uh, just a great example of what should really concern us. Should it be the things of God first and foremost or, you know, the activities in the culture or making money or whatever's going on around us? What excites us, right? David kind of gives us uh, a good look at his heart there. But then in the first verse of chapter 27, we saw an example that we need to be wary of where he starts, when he, he said in his heart, now I shall perish one day from the hand of Saul. And God had already told him that's not going to happen. He knew that. And yet we see him in a moment of weakness being overcome by affairs of life and uh, speaking things to himself that were not based on God's word, but based on uh, his own feelings or maybe you know, things he had seen outside of himself. And that always leads to trouble. And here it led to a compromised situation. Well, chapter 27 ends with uh, Achish trusting David, and he makes himself, he says he has made himself an understench to his people, Israel, therefore he will always be my servant. David had been going out telling him that he had gone attacking settlements in Judah. Actually, he was attacking friendly settlements of the Philistines and not, and not keeping anybody alive to tell anybody differently. And so Achish, who seems to be a little gullible anyway, thinks that, well, David will no longer be able to return to Judah anyway at this point. And then the first two verses of 28, I, I think really the chapter should have began in verse 2, but I think the first two verses go with uh, chapter 27. In those days, the Philistines gathered the forces for war to fight against Israel. And the king said to David, understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. David said to Achish, very well, you shall know what your servant can do. Because he doesn't really say that he's going to fight against Judah, but he, he just kind of slyly says, okay, you're going to see me in, in action. And Akisha to David, very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. Well, we're, we're going to see that that doesn't ever take place, that, um, that, you know, that's not going to happen, of course. But what we, what, what we want to make here is that chapters 27, 29, 29, Chapters 27, 28, 29 are not in sequential order. The order should be 27, 29, and 20, uh, then 28. Because Saul is going to be rich here right at just before the battle. And so I'll explain why that's a little relevant at the end. And so, um, just keep that in mind. David's compromise with the Tisha has put him in a compromising position. Again, it's wartime. And I imagine that David knew this was coming. Perhaps he was already planning for it. But one thing we are reminded of in such situations is to be careful to never put yourself in a place where you are in obligation to the enemies of Christ. So, you know, you never uh, would take gifts from somebody that makes you... Uh, Perhaps where you become a debtor to somebody that you can't trust, that you uh, that would be lost, for instance, that that um, you're setting yourself up for problems. And uh, so we always want to make sure that the people know that we serve the Lord first, and never expect us to return favors in such a way that would dishonor the Lord. So here you see what happens here. This this king assumes David's going to help him, and of course David wasn't going to be able to. 
But anyway, Kish tells him that he and his men must accompany him to fight Israel. And of course, could David do that? Well, no. But he could not explain that to Akish right then. So he answers in a way that sounds favorable, but he does not commit himself one way or the other. Um, and basically just says, like, you know, you'll see what I can do in battle. And Akish takes that to mean that uh, you're going to see me help you in battle. And of course, that's not what happened. Um, so the first few verses here uh, in chapter 28 set up not only the political situation in Israel, but also the spiritual condition, because it also then goes to verse 3, reminds us that Samuel was dead, and that they, therefore, in a sense, that Israel right now did not have any clear revelation from God. And then, of course, Saul had, in obedience to the Lord, put to death, suppose, or driven out anyone who was practicing, uh, you know, necromancy in some way or another, and uh, calling up demons or uh, familiar spirits. And remember that in this day, the religious and civil bodies were one and the same in many respects. So the king could not act apart from God's will, and God had cut himself off from revealing anything to Saul. And Saul was uh, then seeking some kind of answers to his questions. The problem is, and this is what we're going to see here with Saul, is Saul doesn't, it's funny, he doesn't come to the Lord and say, ask for victory over his enemies. Notice that he comes to this woman, he's seeking answers, he wants to know what's going to happen. So he's not interested really in God, in God's will, he's not even, maybe he knows at this point, it's no sense in asking God for anything. He's just looking for someone to read his heart which is exactly why he goes to this woman. It's obvious that Saul is playing the hypocrite. He's not concerned with the Lord's will and his personal life. He's merely looking for some fortune teller so that he can have some idea what's going to happen in battle. But of course the problem is, what difference does it make? Had she told him, or had he found out that he was going to win? Uh, or, you know, what? he still had to go and fight. He would, he's going to find out one way or another. So, you know, there's a sense in which that's why it's so ridiculous for us to know the future and, and these things because it doesn't change anything. God has ordained the means. God has ordained us to give us responsibility to act out, to live by faith. And that would all come crushing, that crashing down if we knew. If I knew what was going to happen tomorrow, uh, I was no, no longer living by faith. I'm no, no longer trusting the Lord. I already know. And then I would, that would in turn cause me perhaps to change what I was going to do. And again, we can't live that way in any reasonable way. And so, this is another example of what we pointed out all along, that the Lord has already revealed to Saul what was going to happen, but Saul's not on board with that. He keeps looking for, he wants, he's hoping the future's going to change. And it in some ways, perhaps it describes the average church doors, and I don't mean by that, you know, most churches, you know, but if you collectively take liberal churches and that type of false professors that are in so many churches, and perhaps even Christians too sometimes, um, they are looking to hear what they want to hear. They're not wanting to hear from the Lord. They're looking for the Lord to help him. It's kind of what we're, the guys have been studying in the Bible study on Friday night. You know, this week, 
very uh, book Del Rock with Joe Osteen and what he teaches. It's very clear that Joe Osteen, uh, his whole message is God wants you to be happy now. It's about you. God is there for you. It is not that we are here for the Lord. <laughs> be any more clear. And this is what we see with Saul. It's a loose cannon. Um, life was all about him. And uh, that's that's all that matters. And if you go to a church where you're being told that the Lord wants you to be happy here and now, your best life now, uh, and that he's there to help you, and you're not here to worship and serve him, then you need to leave immediately. I once knew a neighbor, I had a neighbor in North Carolina who was a truck driver, and he told me that he could worship in his garage uh, just as easily as going to church, and he was absolutely right. He did worship. His uh, Every day he was, um, or every, yeah, not every day, but pretty much every week, all the time, he was worshiping his truck he, and his tools. It was all about, that's all he ever did his, in his uh, garage. There, you know, he worked on that truck, and uh, that's what he did on Sundays all the time. So, yeah, he was worshiping, but he wasn't worshiping God, right? He was worshiping himself. So, Saul goes to someone who practices necromancy, which is basically speaking to the dead, and it was banned. Saul's men knew that, but just like today, there are a lot of things that are illegal, uh, and yet, if you want them, they're not hard to find, right? Think about drugs. You know. Drugs are everywhere. They, they might be illegal, uh, but they're easy to find if you know the right people. And so nothing really has changed and how, it, how it's always been. <clears throat> but we notice here the irony that he's swearing by the Lord that by Yahweh that no harm will come to her for disobeying Yahweh. So as someone said, for all his degeneration, Paul or Saul is orthodox to the last. You know, he's still playing the game of being king of Israel, king of the Lord's people, but he has uh, rejected him long ago. Well, in verse seven, or verse starting in verse eleven, we see that as he asked her to bring up uh, Samuel, we know that in situations like this. Um, where you have someone who perhaps has seances or talks to the dead, and sometimes they're called familiar spirits. There's two options. Sometimes these people are just uh, good at charlatans. They have they're able to read people. They're able to con people. Uh, there's a word for this. Get programmed. We used to watch some guy who was like this. I forget the name of it, but where they can look at people, a little bit like Sherlock Holmes, where they, they can read someone well enough where they can figure out a lot about them just by looking at them or getting to know them for a little bit and talking to them, right? And so people would come and they'd say, well, I want my fortune told, and a card reader, or palm reader can do this a lot of times. And they uh, can say enough to convince you, and sometimes it's a matter of just being a little general, but sometimes they can look at you and they can say things to get you to fight that, that, that you think that's telling you the truth. It's fakery, right? But, uh, in a very real sense, also, sometimes this is very real. They have a familiar spirit. It's a demon. And demon would know something about these people and be able to say things that nobody else should know. And so they believe they're talking to a 
familiar or a spirit who's there to help them. But of course, the problem is that Satan and, and all his horde are liars, they're deceivers, that's all that they do. They're not telling you anything that is true or that is good. If they're manipulating you in some way. And of course, that's why all this is wrong. Why, why these, these people were to be burned if they practiced these things? Because this was, it was first of all blatant idolatry where I'm going for help from someone other than the Lord. But you're dealing with, uh, you know, Satanism and, and the occult and all these kind of things as well. So this is what's going on here. And I think with this woman, it's possible that she was faking it, but it, it seems to be uh, I think a case where she actually has a familiar spirit, and why is she shocked when Samuel appears? Because she knows not who she normally sees. And so she realized that something's going on here. Of course, she immediately knows uh, you know, that who Saul is. She knows this is probably from God or whatever. That's why she is scared at that point. And so, um, it, it, it surprises her, it, but it proves that her normal practice was either fakery or demon, demonization, uh, you know, a lying spirit. And that's why it was forbidden by the Lord, not just because it can't happen, because it certainly can't happen, but because it is um, wicked for the primary reason that it looks to something other than God. Uh, it's demonic or anti-God. And again, like I said at the beginning, another reason why this is wrong is because God has revealed to us what he wants us to know. And when we go beyond that, where I'm not satisfied to live by faith, to live according to the principles of God's word, but I need, I want to know specifics. You're going outside of God's will. You're saying, Lord, you have not given me enough. I want to know more. And, of course, that's just living contrary to everything that God has told us how to live. And so, just to remind ourselves, in case somebody was confused about this, that that's why daily horoscopes are just as evil and raw. Uh, the stars, first of all, have no bearing on your life. That's certainly paganism. Tea leaves palm reading, you name it, it's all the same thing. It's not innocent. And, uh, you know, so those are things to keep in mind. And we got to remember that Satan and his horde are lying spirits. So, so going to them is putting yourself in a place where you, you are purposely going to be deceived or told something that is going to not be good for you. And, and that should be obvious enough. In uh, verse 13, she says, I see... Uh, uh, God coming up out of the earth. It's actually it's a plural form. It's Elohim. Uh, same word that is used for God. Um, but it was not unusual for them to use that word for entities such as magistrates, judges, rulers, something special like that. Uh, no doubt uh, Samuel looked, and, I, and uh, by the way, I believe this is really Samuel. There's certainly some debate about that. But I think that it, you know, if it's not Samuel, then who in the world would it be? Uh, you know, is this a demon? Well, I think you got problems with the demon. I think it was Samuel. That's why she's so scared. And, and and she sees a glorious creature. She sees something that is clearly beyond pale of human of what she would normally see, right? 
So that's why she uses the term God, perhaps. But when it's used of God, by the way, it is it, it it's a plural form, but it always has a singular verb. Just in case you don't know, happen to see that, about it. But, um, and I think coming out of the earth, she saw Samuel coming up out of the earth, is supported biblically that uh, it's not just that he was body was in the earth, but I think probably place of the dead in the Old Testament was in the Bible. The Old Testament seems to suggest was down into the earth. I'll give you one example of this. There are others. Ezekiel 32, 18. Son of man, well over the multitude of Egypt, and sends him down, her and the daughters of the majestic nations, to the world below, to those who have gone down to the pit. Then I will make you to go down, and those who go down to the pit people of old, and I will make you go down but you dwell in the world below among the ruins of the whole with those who go down to the pit so that you will not be inhabited but I will accept you in the land of the living. So this is an example where the place of the dead uh, is referred to as below. And that was, you know, so I won't make much more than that. I think that that's pretty, pretty obvious. The paradise is a place where all the dead, both lost saved were. In the Old Testament Jesus that he arose uh, brought uh, his the redeemed up out of Hades and uh, took them to heaven. And that's one reason why I believe it can be solved here because I think Paul tells us that in, in, in this age to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's one reason why I believe the Lord took them. There's verses that we've looked at and talked about that as well. Took them to glory. And now, having uh, been made, uh, our sins are forgiven, we're with the Lord, and we ever shall be with the Lord, the Bible says. So I don't think that at this point any saved person would ever come back down to us, would ever leave heaven. To leave, to, there you're leaving the presence and the glory of God. And I can't imagine, you know, that, that being a good thing in any way. But in the Old Testament, they were in the bosom of Abraham. We know it happened because, remember, Moses and Elijah appeared with the Lord at the Mount of Transfiguration. That was clearly them. So at that point, at least, it could happen. And so I don't think there's any reason why this couldn't be Samuel as well. We notice that when he appears, he says in verse 15, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Right? And uh, so, but he's disturbed him because whatever... Hades, what Muslim of Abraham was, you know, his people who were who were saved were in a place of peace and tranquility and certainly free of pain. It wasn't glory, but it was good, right? And so here to bring Saul up, Samuel up out of that, and have to deal with Samuel would be disturbing, would be disquieting. And so he asked, why? Um, so it was also um, foolish for Saul to think that Samuel was going to help him now when he had refused to help him uh, already before he died. But, uh, of course, Saul is desperate. Um, and so he basically, uh, Samuel tells Saul that, uh, well, if you want to know the future, I'll tell you the future. Uh, tomorrow, you and your sons are all going to be with me. Again, it doesn't, you know, know that they're, this dream as to 
solved it. Saying, I think this is, this chapter is clear evidence that it's not. But when Samuel says, "You'll be with me, you and your sons will be with me," well, we know Jonathan's his one son leads to the believer. Um, but it doesn't mean that you're going to be with me in paradise or in the Abraham's bosom. You're going to be with me in the place of the dead, because obviously, as Jesus points out. It was a place everybody was gathered. There was a great gulf between them, but they were in the same location. So, you know, there, is there is it speculation? Well, I think it's it's there, there's good reasons to understand it that way from the Bible, and I guess I'll leave it at that. You know, I mean, people may disagree with some of that fine, but I think Samuel could tell Saul this, and it doesn't mean that Saul was saved. Anyway. All right, so that's kind of the things that uh, took place after this. Uh, she kind of and his men. Saul was, of course, basically in terror and paralyzed by fear. They finally get him to eat something. I thought it was interesting. It kind of tells you the times have changed, at least in America. She says, "Okay, let me get some meat." So she says she goes out to kill quickly, kills the fatted calf that comes in and feeds him. It's like, you know. I just can't even hardly imagine that happening. In New York, I do some farmers, and they, you know, almost every dairy farmer keeps little cages with the raising veal calves, with the extra calves, and extra money with the calves, right? And just to think that anybody would run out there and kill that thing, cute little calf, and then feed us, it just, it would have taken a long time, it would seem like, but Abraham did the same thing, it says that he did the same thing when Jesus visited him. So anyway, it's kind of interesting to me, but Someone said that uh, when coronated king saw was given a feast by God's prophet, here now at the end he gets a morsel from a witch. And, uh, so you kind of see how the mighty have fallen. Okay, well, those are that's kind of the account of what was going on there. What maybe some other things that we can point out from this? First of all, we notice the pathetic figure of one who had been abandoned by God and has no answers. It's just a stark look at somebody who does not have light. It's a stark look at the world. It's not like you can... Saul is pathetic in some ways here, but every lost person is in this situation where they don't really have light. If they have light, the Word of God, they don't believe it. Or they don't not read it, but they don't really understand it. When you don't have God's revelation, you are floundering. If you, you see Saul, he's unable to deal with life. And it should be. One thing that gives us the greatest joy and peace is that not only do we have the abiding presence of the Lord with us, that we've been promised that in the, the Spirit is given as a seal, as a down payment, as earnest money, right? Uh, that, 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 we know that someday we shall be with the Lord, that he will never be taken away from us, right? It's a promise of our salvation. Not only do we have that, but we have God's word to guide us in every situation. We understand what's going on around us. We understand uh, when things, bad things happen as well as good things happen. And we understand how to get along with people, how to deal with people. We don't always live by the light like, like we should, but we have it. It's you know, I hope sometimes we just stop and thank the Lord that He has not left us in darkness. That we know 
we don't know perfectly, but we have we have the word of God to guide us, right? And here Samuel tells him in verse 16 that he already knew why all this was happening. He again reminds him about what happened to Babylon. But he doesn't have a heart to listen to God, never has had a heart to listen to God. And so uh when he does get some light, he does get it in one sense is that his answer is question answer, right? What's gonna happen? But it's it's not good. It doesn't offer him any peace, he just learns he's gonna die tomorrow, right? Saul has seen his actions as there was nothing else to do. You see what happens if somebody is faced with a very bad situation, he he doesn't know what else to do. Uh he doesn't go to the Lord for help, he goes to the Lord in rebellion. Uh, not in wisdom, but in stubbornness. He's trying to do his own thing. And, and I think sometimes Christians can fall into this trap. We sit here in church and we got full bellies and everything's going okay and we listen to the word of God and we rejoice in these things. But every once in a while, you know, in my few years here on this earth, I've seen people, and I won't, I won't deny that perhaps I've done it, where Everything's going really well, and all of a sudden, your world gets turned upside down a little bit. And all of a sudden, it's like we don't have the light. We don't have the word. We're, we're floundering around. We start dealing with things like the world and the culture around us deal with things. And we start looking for help the way the world looks for help. And I see that they forget. And so they have to be reminded, okay, let's stop. Let's take a breath. Let's... Remind ourselves what God has said about this. Let's remind ourselves about who you are. To, you know, as a Christian, remind ourselves of the promises that we have. Let's use the life that we've been given. And let's not jump the gun. And you, you see here, this is what Samuel uh, Saul's done. He's dumping the gun. He, he's floundering. Because he will not listen to the Lord. So we see this contrast between uh, Saul, this pathetic figure, and then secondly, the contrast between the world, what the world tells us, and the Lord tells us. Here, through Samuel, the Lord always speaks truth. Of course, we have his word, which is truth. We can take it to the bank. This woman was in the business of telling people what they wanted to hear. And of course, that's another problem. As you said, they're deceiving spirits. So at the end of the day, they're going to tell you something to keep you coming back. Even if it's a bad thing, it might come true, but the fact that it comes true brings you back, right? There's manipulation. And this is what Satan's kingdom does. Everything but the truth. And again, they might tell you a fact, but they're not giving you the truth. The truth is that these are why uh, these things happen, that we might serve the Lord. Not to satisfy our curiosity. And so, the, the contrast here is, is, my point is, we need to be aware that it doesn't matter how close a friend you have, it doesn't matter if they're family, it doesn't matter. If they're lost, they're, you've got to be wary of trusting them. Now, you can have Good friends who give you good advice, they give you lost, family members who love you as much as they can, as family members can 
not purposely deceive you. So I'm not saying you can't ever trust the world. The logical can speak truth, but they're not speaking truth in, in, in a way that uh, would coincide with the Word of God, which would help bring you and serve, help you serve the Lord. Right. So you always have to be wary of what you hear of advice is given and judge it by the Word of God because they're living in darkness. So yes, you, you can hear the truth, you know, the world speak true things. If you go to the airport, you can read the chart, it, you know, and it'll, the monitor, it'll give you ETAs, and mostly that'll be true, right? Not always, but mostly. But it's the, the morality, it's the reason, the purpose behind everything, where they are, they are lying, or they are living in, they deceiving themselves. And so just beware. And if you don't, if you don't, you become gullible to eat people that you perhaps have a relationship with. It's something we need to remind ourselves. And thirdly, this brings us to why these chapters are out of order chronologically. And, you know, we watch movies where sometimes the director will, or whoever wrote the thing, is going through future or back and forth and present, and, and you got to kind of Follow all that, right? And sometimes the, the Bible does that. The Gospels do that sometimes. They put things out of sync because they're trying to uh, teach something. And so here we have an example of that where right in the middle of this, uh, these armies getting together for battle, uh, we have this, uh, even though uh, it's out of order. And so we know it's out of order because in chapter 29, the next chapter, David and the Philistines, it says, are in Aphek, that is well south of the battleground between Philistia uh, and uh, where the battle will take place. In chapter 28 and verse 4, Saul and the Philistines are at the battleground. Or, you know, that's where they're headed. So that's why I said, I think, the first two verses of 28 go with 27 because in, in uh, verse uh, 4, it says, The Philistines assembled and, and came and encamped at Shudim. It's a place where the battle is. And then in chapter 29, we're going, kind of going backwards, still dealing with David and, and his situation. They haven't got there yet. So 29 is just before the actual battle where we read of uh, Saul going to this medium. Um, so, you know, the question then is, why do they interject what's going on here now? And kind of do it a little bit. Because if you read, in other words, if you read 27 and 29, it flows and makes perfect sense. But 28 is kind of out of sync. So, why? Well, it's kind of like if you were watching a sporting event and they interrupted the telecast to tell you that there has been a nuclear, a nuclear attack on us. Well, you can kind of understand it, right? You wouldn't say, well, you know, look, I want to watch, I want to finish the sports game. And then you can tell me about that. No, because this, this needs to be, it's like a big flashing signal. Something's going on here that we need to see. So we've been watching and anticipating David. And we've kind of been watching him dig off kind of a deep hole for himself. But with David, we know that 
the Lord is going to take care of him. We see that the Lord is blessing him, that, that even when he maybe defaulters, the Lord takes care of him. But then all of a sudden, and, and, it, and that's what we've been seeing here with David, and all of a sudden we see Saul in stark contrast to his mentor. And I think partly because this is more important at the moment. There is something more important to see here. As bad as David's situation is right now, as far it's far worse to be in Saul's situation. David is in a, a, a compromising situation. David is uh, it, it not where he wants to be, but the Lord is taking care of him. He's been doing every step of the way. The Lord is going to turn everything that David messed with David in and make it good. With Saul, that's not going to happen. With Saul, he is completely cut off from the Lord and nothing could be worse. And so I think that we're just reminded there's this continuous contrast between David and Saul and here we see it very starkly. And, and what I think something that we need to then a matter of application here is to remind ourselves, see ourselves we're not like Saul. We have a life. We're one of God's children. It's not going to end in death. We're like David. And so we always want to keep that in mind. Is no matter how bad things get, we always have Christ. It, it will ne- it's never as bad as what's going on to those around us who are lost. Our burdens are never to be seen as heavy as they sometimes feel. And again, this is, this is why it's so good. It's not that burdens can't be heavy. Christ lightens them. Our salvation, knowing that they shall end, knowing that glory awaits, lightens them to some degree. Now, I always want to be careful about being flippant about trials and burdens because I think this is probably one of the big problems. You know, one of the problems of the health and wealth gospel is basically saying that you shouldn't have any trials or, or anything like that unless if you're living by faith. Or that God doesn't want you to have those things, and so He wants to get you out of those things. Well, the truth is that God sometimes doesn't get us out of those. But they're there for a purpose. There are many people who have, you know, you think about Joni uh, Erickson Tata, right? Who, you know, she became uh, paraplegic, whatever, you know, when she was pretty young. It's, it continues to this day. It's not because she wasn't faithful enough, you know, she didn't. She's had. You know, it's because that's what the Lord wanted her to have. And yet she's been such a great example of what we've been talking about. The gospel has transformed her so that she can take what we, who can stand on our own two feet. I can't imagine being in a wheelchair you know, for all my life, right? Not being able to scratch it. Yet. And yet, I think you could say she's done doing better in a wheelchair than I'm doing on my own two feet, right? But I don't want to be flipping about these things. Uh, sometimes we, we say things like, well, there's always someone better off, worse off than you, right? When you go to a trial. And that's true, and I've told myself that. Sometimes we, in our comfort of America, we Get 
and it, so that might be true, but it's more important for us uh, to put it in context because life, because at some point, there's someone on earth, there's not any, they can't say someone's worse than me because sometimes we are, we're in a low spot where it can't really get anywhere. It happens, right? So, that alone, that there's always somebody the worse off, is, is good to remember, but that's not the end of it. We've got to do better than that. We've got to put it in a, this trial in its context. Life might have become a great burden for a number of reasons that you will never be able to escape. I mean, I, again, let's go back to thirty years of I think that it would be, you can't go up there and say, well, there's always somebody worse off than you. Well, unless you're talking about lost people, that, that's about as bad as it gets. You know, in some ways, right? You know, and again, it, 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 you can't, it's all relative, but that's not going to help her. I don't think it would help me, you know, unless I'm thinking, well, there's people who don't have the Lord. Now, you, now you're saying something that matters because I know, she knows that she will get up out of that wheelchair someday and have a glorified body. You got to put it in life in its context. It, it, some things are a difficult pill to swallow, but you. But when you compare them to Saul, who's been abandoned by the Lord, now you're talking about someone who uh, is worse off than you. And that when you have Christ, you have everything you need, no matter how bad things get. So keeping the right perspective, and I think. They inter- Saul is interjected here to remind us that no, David is really not in a bad situation. And so let me just finish by reminding ourselves to be careful about the kind of guidance you ask for. I've said, I've said already that, that it's interesting to me that Saul goes to the Lord not to really, not to hear his will. He quit doing that years ago. He's not even going to the Lord to ask for help. He's going to the Lord because he wants the Lord to tell him some, give him some information he wants to know. And so we cannot let desperation lead us to seek God, but only on our terms, but we want, when we have really been unwilling to listen to the Lord before, because that's self-serving. We don't really want to hear from the Lord. We want to explain to him, give him our agenda. When David acted it was for the honor of the Lord. Saul has rejected God, but he wants to be blessed anyway. He wants the results of favor. He doesn't want the favor of God. He wants the results of the favor. And all this will cause you to do is look for answers in the wrong place, um, or even mistake the Bible's message, because it's all. And, and so one of the great things about the book we've been reading on Friday, we talked about this. When you make God and life all about me and what I want, you trivialize everything. You trivialize God as if you and what you're, what you're going through is really all that matters. You trivialize everything God is doing. So in all this, we're reminded that the day is coming when it's going to be too late to try to seek God. So it's too late for Saul, right? It has been for a while and this is starkly impressed upon him at this point. So it's a reminder to that the day of judgment is coming for us all. Any questions or comments at the close? Thank you for this time together.
word and just want to thank you that we have Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. You give us your word, you give us purpose, you give us a glorious end that cannot be taken from us, for it is based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. So we're thankful for, for that. We're thankful for the examples that we read in Scripture, both good and bad, for the life that it gives us. We ask your blessings upon the rest of this day. And Lord, for those who could not be here today, bless them, encourage them, and with those who are traveling safety, and I think that that is in Jesus' name.